Welcome to the SAP Experts Podcast. My name is Steven Spears. Great to be back with you for another episode together and so soon. That's exciting. Today's episode is all about the institutions that handle our money and small amounts of Dogecoin in my case. I'm joined by Dr. Betty Moon. Betty spent over 20 years working in the financial services industry and is now an industry advisor for SAP CX. We'll dive into Betty's experience leading divisions at some of the U.S.'s largest banks to learn about the evolution of customer experience in financial services and help that guide us to see where it's headed. All of that on this episode of the SAP Experts Podcast. Dr. Betty Moon, Dr. Dr. Betty, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. I'm uh, delighted to be here today. I'm, I'm excited too to learn. I don't think I've ever asked you, but what the uh, the doctorate is in. It's a doctorate in management from Case Western Reserve University. I focused on business management and did my doctoral research on um, success stories in sales and what makes certain salespeople more successful than others. That's interesting. Did you have any, I'm surprised you don't have a book because I feel like that's, <laughs> that's the natural transition is like, you know, on the website, business leader books, Dr. Betty Moon, sales <laughs> tactics that win. <laughs> well, maybe that'll be coming sometime in the future. No, no worries. Oh, but, I might've uh, cracked a, I might've cracked an upcoming release. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you on, especially around the topic of, you know, banking and financial services. Uh, so I'm curious to to learn a little bit more. How long were you actually in banking and in, in the world of financial services? Well, let's see. I mean, Alexander Hamilton created the first bank of the United States in 1791, and I don't go quite that far back. <laughs> <laughs> Some days it really feels like it. Uh, I, I actually started in banking. My first job was in a bank branch in 1988. Mm -hmm. I was uh, working at a, a place called Trans-Ohio Savings Bank in Barberton, Ohio, and it's a small town in the northeast part of the state. And I was a financial advisor, and I sold mutual funds and annuities and other investment products to uh, to our branch customers. But over the years, I, I moved into a lot of management roles and then executive roles. And um, and so the rest is history. Yeah. The, the, the bank hours is a real thing, right? <laughs> it, well, it used to be. It used to be. But uh, towards the end of my career, it was it was a lot of work. It was a, a lot more hours than traditionally we uh, we think about. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I'm curious too, because I know uh, SAP in general and financial services aren't always the bread and butter. Well, in your course of career, how aware of you were you of SAP while you were working in banking? Well, you know, so my, my jobs were always running lines of business, right? So I um, built and led the first retail bank program, bank brokerage program at National City Bank. And then I ran trust and private banking at Huntington. And then I held a couple of strategy roles at Bank of America. And my last job in banking before I joined SAP in 2016 was as chief strategy officer for PNC Investments. Mm. In none of those jobs was I in the least bit aware of SAP. Wow. And, and it's funny, you know, I'm, I'm sure the IT guys that supported my business lines were very familiar with it. 
But I've never been called on by anybody at SAP. And I think even today, line of business leaders in banking still don't have much of a sense of SAP like we would like to think they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's just because we've tended as SAP to focus on talking technology to technologists. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that that is changing, but um, we do have a little ways to go yet. Yeah. When you say line of business leaders, uh, what are you referring to there? I'm curious. So I, um, I was a line of business leader. So you run a business for a bank and banking is made up of multiple kinds of business, right? There's small business, there's commercial lending, there's the trust department, there's private banking and wealth management, there's the investment arm, there's the retail bank. All of those different lines of business are headed up by different executives. Mm. And those executives often work with their own IT departments. uh, And those are the folks that SAP typically faces off with. Oh, interesting. Okay. So then when when you were leading your line of business, did you start to get this feel that uh, digital transformation was coming or we should be doing more to, you know, cater to the customer. Did you get that feel before you had moved out of the industry? Well, you know, I think digital transformation has been happening in banking for years. I mean, some financial institutions are just a lot more forward thinking than others about it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not necessarily related to just the size of the institution either. Uh, back in 1994, when I was working at Huntington, what was that? 27 years ago, if my math is right. I was born in 92. I'm I'm outing myself. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) okay. So there, yeah. 27 now. Yeah. Okay. So, so back then, 27 years ago at Huntington, we had rolled out personal touch video banking machines. Mm. Now those were just ATMs that were outfitted with a one-way camera that displayed a, a video image of a teller. They mm. didn't show the customer's face. It was just so that the customer could see the teller. Those never caught on at the time. I mean, the quality of the video wasn't very good 27 years ago, but but even then there was an awareness that was growing that there was new technology that was going to change how consumers were going to engage with their bankers. And banks like Huntington were, were thinking about that three decades ago. Mm. Now, you fast forward to today, I think the technology has obviously gotten a lot better, really advanced, and video engagement is a daily activity for most of us, right? We're all all on Zoom calls and Teams calls every day. But I do think banks are looking at ways now to um, take it to the next step, to manage their talent, to manage their customer interactions. Doing all this remotely and doing it perhaps permanently is is changing how this digital transformation is really accelerating. I mean, even before the pandemic, Stephen, I mean, Americans had started to slowly decline in the usage of the branches, right? I mean, between 2015 and 2020, in just that five-year period, branch usage was already down by about a third. So, so, you know, customers were starting to change how they interacted with their bankers even before COVID. And now because of the pandemic, everything has changed and it's accelerated that, that need that customers have to bank the way they want to, where they want to do it, when they want to do it, how they want to do it. And they want it to be very simple and very transparent. And to do all that, banks have to embrace digital technology in, in new ways. Yeah, I, I remember uh, this was back right when I was getting out of college, and there was this idea of uh, an online bank, 
and, and they had no branches. And I remember at the time I thought, that is crazy. I would never sign up for that because there's no way I can go in and talk to somebody. And now I use one uh, because I realized that a lot of what I was doing, even with my local bank, uh, I was doing through an app. So I was like, I don't, I don't even go talk to anybody anymore. So that's, that is interesting that it's been such a short window that everybody's kind of like, do I really need to go in anymore? Uh, And which I'm sure also affects those kind of smaller banks, like you were mentioning that that was kind of the, the pitch at the beginning was work with your local bank. You can come in, you can talk to somebody I, has that? Have you seen an effect there too? Because I feel like it's now the bigger banks are trying to kind of play that game at scale in a weird way. Well, I think that the larger banks in some cases may be a little bit ahead just because they, they started down these technology transformation paths sooner than the smaller financial institutions. But as I mentioned, Huntington, which is a, a regional bank, was doing some really innovative things many decades ago. So I don't think it's so much based on the size. I think what it really is based on is how comfortable the leadership of those financial institutions have been in embracing technology and all the change that comes with it, because it's more than just tools and software, right? It's how people interact with those things, whether it's the customer or the employees. Yeah. Did, did technology scare you as you were, uh, you were leading a lot of business there of, of thinking, what are, what are we going to do? No, because all I needed to do was be able to turn on my computer in the morning. And that was the extent of my technological <laughs> needs. And when that didn't go well, I called my IT guy and he came up to my office and fixed it. <laughs> That's funny. So do you think that, what do you think it is that, you know, uh, kind of made a lot of leaders in, in banking financial services hesitant to not be those forefront leaders or that may still be in place? Well, I think they have a lot on their plates, right? I mean, bankers have a lot going on. They have a lot to prioritize. I mean, they they have the regulators, they've got new competitors, they've got these razor thin margins that they have to worry about. They Now they've got this new remote workforce they're trying to understand. And at the same time, bankers are bankers, right? They're not technologists. So they're comfortable in their space and in their world like I was. Mm-hmm. When you get anybody out of their comfort zone, it creates, you know, un, you know, a, a, a sense of not being able to be an expert in something. And then am I going to make the wrong decision for my organization? Mm-hmm. So I think that what we have to do in my old role as a banker, and, and when I'm talking to my colleagues and my peers, is we are all starting to educate ourselves. We have to educate ourselves as bankers on what the technology can offer, because that's that's where the competition is forcing us to go. These new fintech competitors are forcing traditional bankers to, to learn more about what's possible, right? The art of the possible. And if you don't understand what's possible, how can you possibly compete against it? That's a great quote. I, I need to write that down here. That, that's, that's, which it, it leads to a good question of uh, what do you see as, as kind of the table stakes at this point? Because obviously the the possible is where you want to be looking and make sure you're ahead of. But what do you see now when it comes to that experience and, and technology as a must have yeah. uh, to even be in the in the game at this point? 
Yeah. Well, you know, table, table stakes as far as what the outcome should be is really still about customer experience, right? Customer experience is at the top of the list for bankers. That hasn't always been the case. Um, you know, I, I think the financial crisis pointed out a lot of challenges in the financial institutions. And and a lot of banks and bankers, for that matter, took a hit. We took a hit to our reputations because of what happened in those, those few years. We weren't seen, um, we certainly weren't seen as champions for customer care, right? We were seen as something different than what we wanted to be known for, which were trusted providers of financial products and services and advice. So I think, you know, even in recent years, we've some banks, we've seen some banks do some damage to themselves and their own reputations through some of the ways that they managed some things. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I do see there is a shift, right? That or, financial organizations are really committed to improving the customer experience and taking good care of their clients and building that trust and loyalty back mm-hmm. into their organizations. And I think that's important because it's what's going to differentiate themselves in a marketplace that's getting more and more competitive. And, and because everything is heightened in, in competition with some of these new entrants from the financial technology companies that are coming up um, through, through the incubators and through lots of new angles. And I think, you know, the old table stakes of mobile apps and websites, uh-huh. forget that. I mean, that, that's fine. You have to have that. But but I think, you know, we, we're rethinking, organizations are, are rethinking what is a bank. Consumers are rethinking what is a bank because a bank is no longer a place. It's actually an action. It's, a, it's an activity. Mm-hmm. So consumers, they want personal service. Um, they want accessibility to their bankers when they want a bank. They want transparency. They want speed. They, they don't want complex, convoluted, disconnected processes that take them, you know, eight weeks to get a mortgage. I mean, who yeah. wants that? I don't want that. Do you want that, Stephen? No, those interest rates. I'll lose out on the good stuff. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants that. So, you know, this whole um, seamless onboarding, you know, a simple to do business with e- easy access to my information. I want, you know, as a consumer, I want customized advice for me, not not sort of general guidance on what works for the vast majority of people. And I think that that's the, the idea of a true omni-channel experience, which is a term we toss around in, in technology all the time, oh. all that means is, you know, every customer just wants to bank with the channels of a bank that they want to work with, whether it's private banking or retail banking or small business or or student lending, and they want all of that to be just easy for them. Mm-hmm. And they want to do it the way they want to do it. And Amazon has taught us that, right? That we can, we can require companies that serve us to do it on our terms. I think banking's the same way. Yeah. Well, and especially in an industry where uh, the product in, the end, in a lot of cases is ours, uh, you know, if we go shop at Amazon, it's not ours yet. We're trying to buy something with banking. I'm giving you something I own. And and then there's an interaction there. So it, it's interesting when you mentioned the loyalty and the trust, 
I feel like that's got to be way up there because, uh, you know, a lot of different things. If I rent a storage unit, if I lose the couch I'm keeping in there, that sucks. If I lose (laughs) my last three paychecks, that's life changing. So that's a whole nother element to think of in this, right? Absolutely. I mean, banking is all about trust. And if you have learned to trust a financial institution that you never walk into, because you know you are of a generation that don't don't feel the need to actually walk into a bricks and mortar branch on every street corner, mm-hmm. then you're going to see your bank as a quite different kind of institution than somebody who wants to walk in and still you know deposit their paycheck physically every couple of weeks. Although I don't know anybody who does that. Do I was just trying to rack my brain. I was like. <laughs> There's got to be somebody I know that still does that, but I couldn't think of anybody either. Well, and it's not just, you know, senior citizens. Um, it really isn't like myself. It's not just old people who, who use bank branches. I read a study not too long ago that the vast majority of millennials still like branches. They still want to go to a branch uh, when they want to go to a branch. Now, that's not every week. But when they feel the need, they still like the idea of being able to go someplace, look somebody in the eye and ask for advice. Yeah, no, and and your your point to omni-channel too, I thought was interesting because I, I was in my brain thinking, yeah, when I go look at like my retirement stuff, I always do it on my computer, but my day-to-day checking, I never go on my computer for that. I just do it on my phone. And then like, I, I genuinely have a different place that I deal with different financial products. And I had never realized that till you just were mentioning people want a bank where they want to. Uh, that's fascinating that I appreciate you helping me out the doctor side uh, of realizing because <laughs> I'm sure a lot of, you know, banks, uh, it, they can't prioritize one or the other because it really is a matter of, you know, it's your preference. Everything needs to be resembling our brand, no matter where you're dealing with it. And, and that means different things to different people, right? And every consumer is unique. And I think the days of banks and any company for that matter, not just banking, mm-hmm. but any company marketing to large groups of people, right? We used to market to segments when I was in banking. I, we marked to a segment of this or a segment that looked like that. Those days are pretty much gone because now you have to market um, and this is a quote from a chief marketing officer that attended a roundtable I hosted not too long ago. And he said, now we have to market to an audience of one customer at a time. And to do that, we need to understand everything about our customers. We need to understand who they are at a very granular level and use the data and that banks have so much data on all of us, but they need to use that data in some different and exciting and meaningful ways to help really provide the products and services to one customer at a time. That's interesting too, because there is, you mentioned all that data. So then there is a a potential there to make it a back and forth of, of benefit of that data. You know, I, has it traditionally kind of been, we're going to grab all of it so we can, you know, keep our bottom line to a certain point. And now has, have you seen that kind of shifting of you're giving us all this data and information, but now we can turn around and give you a benefit for that. Yeah. Have you seen a difference there? Yeah. And I think customers are, consumers are okay with banks and other kinds of organizations having a lot of data about them 
if they feel that data is being used to benefit them, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, if you have a lot of data about people and you're not using it to benefit that individual person, that can get kind of creepy, right? That can get kind of like, I don't know why you need to know all this about me. And yet, if you've, if you've called your bank anytime lately, and we're all bank customers, you kind of don't want to repeat the same information to every person you talk to in the, in the chain of, of getting what you need and in the products and the services from that financial institution. You want the bank to know enough about you so you don't have to keep explaining yourself. And, you know, if you go into a bank branch, you want them to know that you are a customer of the private bank and be treated in a certain way because you have put a lot of your assets with the financial institution. Well, you don't want to have to work with a financial institution that you feel is only collecting information about you to use for their benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, especially like the the type of services now where you can uh, connect all your accounts and see it all and do budgeting and all that. I remember when I first came across it, I thought there is no way I'm going to give this, you know, uh, one app or, or login, all of my different logins just to be able to see it in one place. But then over time, it was like, okay, I can see that people trust this and the people I respect use it. And now I can't imagine a world where I don't have one place to go look at every single account and all that stuff. So uh, do you see these kind of different financial products and and ways of of managing your finances uh, affecting many banks and things like that to where they have to expand? Or is it a matter of just learning to play ball with those companies that offer it? I think it's a combination of both, Stephen, right? You know, Europe is is a little bit ahead of us here in the United States when it comes to open banking. But the Biden administration and and, um, the folks on the Hill seem to be telling us through some of the things that they're paying attention to that true open banking is coming our way, right? They're looking at at, um, some of the um, aspects of the Dodd-Frank Act to really create some open banking where I as a consumer own my data that's with my bank, mm-hmm. but I can share, I can force my bank in the future, ideally, there is what, what consumer, some consumer advocacy groups are thinking, mm-hmm. is that I own my data and therefore the bank has to put my data in a form that I could use it with any financial institution, any aggregator that I choose so that I can benefit from having all that information in one place and in a form that can be useful to me, not just to my financial institution. So I do think that's going to change down the road, but it's exciting to see what banks are doing with data now in in some exciting ways to really enhance the relationship that they have with their customers, make those customers more loyal to them, and make them feel like their organization really does know them. Because candidly, does anybody believe that you care about somebody if you don't know them, right? So the more... (laughs) So the more that we know that our, 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 our financial institutions know about us, as long as they're using that to benefit us, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. So uh, do you think that it'll, it'll go to the point where we'll start seeing banks and these financial service companies wearing hoodies and jeans and trying to be the cool people on the street? Or, or are we still going to be seeing folks in ties in the, in the branches? Well, you know, I think dress is part of a culture, right? That you're, you dress for the for the purpose, right? So that if you're in a customer facing role and you're managing somebody's money, 
I think that you want to dress in a way that makes that person feel confident and trust you, right? So as a banker, I always dressed very formally because for quite a bit of my career, I was running private banking and trust departments. Mm -hmm. And my clients expected me to look a certain way. I think if I showed up in jeans and a hoodie, they'd probably think twice about whether or not my money was being, their money was being (laughs) appropriately managed. But but just that I say that because I do think that there has been a shift to a little bit more relaxation in some financial institutions since people have been working from home. And uh, I think that as long as the dress code inspires trust of your customers, I think that that will evolve over time and be generationally defined because, you know, when hoodies inspire trust, for a generation of investors, then sure, I think bankers will wear hoodies then. Yeah, I, I, I am picturing now that you pointed out of probably someone from like Reddit's Wall Street bets or something is the people I'll run into in a hoodie. So they, they might make a lot of money or lose all your money. So I was always taught you dress like your customers and maybe a little bit better than your customers so that they, you know, that they feel comfortable and confident around you. Yeah, no, I get it. Well, and if we're all using apps, it's not going to make much of a difference. So if you wear hoodies, the worst. That's true. You know, it kind of comes back to that technology point you raised. Uh, you know, what kind of challenges are you seeing uh, for these companies in meeting these requirements for now, but also that art of possible you mentioned? Are there any glaring challenges that that have to be addressed to to move that direction? Yeah, I do. I do think that there are a few, Stephen. I, you know, I think banks do have a great opportunity to reimagine banking and create some of these experiences that we've been talking about that make customers feel really good about doing business with them. But to do that, bankers not only have to think differently about technology, but they have to get themselves out from underneath some of these legacy technology platforms that are holding them back. And too many financial institutions today are still struggling with a patchwork quilt of technology, old software that just isn't allowing them to be as nimble and agile as they've all figured out they need to be in today's economy. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that business leaders are, are trying to understand what new tools can help them improve the customer experience across the board and, and the employee experience for that matter. And I think as a, as a, one of the largest Um, software companies in the world, we have a responsibility of helping educate them because um, they're, you know, oftentimes bankers, bank executives, bank leaders rely on their own IT people to give them advice. I know I did when I was in those roles. And that's great if you have fabulous IT team members. But sometimes IT members are limited by what they know and by their own experiences. And so, you know, and and technology is changing really fast. I mean, innovation is coming at us every day from so many different directions that I think business leaders in banking and every other industry have to expand the way that they look at innovation and own some of that on themselves to educate themselves about what do I need to know about what my customers need and what tools are out there that perhaps I don't know about. Because to make good decisions in partnership with your IT teams, 
you have to have a basic understanding of the language and, and the tools that are out there. And in order to get to that, um, the, the world of the possibilities. Yeah. You got to clean out the closet a little bit uh, yeah. to, to make room for the new fun stuff. Exactly. And, and some of these legacy technologies are so ingrained in these organizations. I remember one bank I worked at, which I won't mention, um, we had some software that we were using in one of the departments that was so old that we had one, one guy in the IT department that knew how to, how to run it and how to make sure it stayed online. And we weren't going to ever let him retire because <laughs> if he retired, the whole system was going to go down. So, yeah. so, so I think that, you know, there's a lot of new tools that are out there. It's just hard to let go of the old sometimes and embrace the new. And that's just, that's just human nature. Yeah. When you were uh, uh, running the line of business, did you have, or I guess, how would you validate uh Edu- educational materials and insights from like a vendor or something like that? Would you look to other peers uh, across other banks, other lines of business? What, what would you always use to kind of help validate, all right, is this vendor or person, you know, blowing smoke at me here or is there something to this? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, Stephen. And it's, and the way that I did it when I was a bank executive is I would talk to my my peers in different companies, right? Banking is a very small world. I have lots of good friends who are bankers and senior roles today, and we still all talk to each other all the time. So yeah, anytime I was thinking about bringing on a new vendor, my first or second call was going to be to one of my colleagues across the street and asking them, so, hey, you know, I've, I've, I'm thinking about this. Uh, what, what's your experience been with that, with that vendor? Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I was, I was um, you know, I was tough on vendors. I challenged them, but but they became my best allies and they brought me some of the best information I had because they did educate me and they did help me learn about the various aspects of the business that I needed to know. So I, I definitely think that you can, you should, if you're not, use your vendors to educate yourself, but also it's a two-way street. You know, help your vendors understand what's important to you in financial services. What are the challenges that you're facing so that we can better understand how to create the tools that will help you fix those? Yeah, that collective knowledge of, you know, we're, we're not just doing this with you guys. You know, we've helped, you know, all these other people do it. There, there adds that little validation. Uh, so from looking at SAP in, in, you know, particular and customer experience in particular, uh, what do you see now that you, you've been in the ecosystem now, you've gotten your feet wet of what, all the worlds of SAP uh, <laughs> from the CX side? Uh, what have you seen that, that they can offer to help companies that, that you're familiar with or just financial service companies in general? Yeah. You know, SAP has some so so many amazing tools that can help this industry. And with our digital prep platform and our integrated applications, we can do so much to help financial institutions avoid some of the pain points that they're they're struggling with right now. I mean, whether it's our SAP sales and commerce cloud, um, which can really help them deliver that true omni-channel experience, or maybe it's our marketing cloud that um, can help them use their customer data more effectively. I mean, banks are drowning in data. They, it's not like they don't have enough of it. It's how are they using it? What are they doing with it to actually make their customers happier and also improve their bottom line? Or maybe it's even like our SAP customer profile 
profiles, right? To help bankers get that single view of a client um, so that you know what to talk with them about. If you don't have a good total view of your customer, how can you possibly know what will help them and, and how to you know, best engage with them and keep them loyal to you? Um, I also think that banks are looking to, you know, continue to educate their customers. This is becoming more and more important now that we have this new administration in Washington who's very focused on consumer advocacy. I think the financial institutions that are providing financial literacy programs are, are being viewed very uh, positively by uh, all their stakeholders, whether those are investors or consumers. And so, you know, we have SAP Litmus, which is a product that can help banks um, communicate financial information to their customers in a, in a fun and educational way. And then, you know, I also think, you know, you can't have a good customer experience unless you have a good employee experience. So we do a lot of great work here at SAP with helping sales organizations on everything from how they should um, manage their commissions programs to how they educate, train, and and uh, manage performance for their employees on a on a daily basis. So I think we have a lot to offer um, in helping banks not only operate today more efficiently, but also prepare for what they might be able to do differently and um, engage their customers differently in the future. Yeah, uh, especially now that you know all my money is in a coin. Uh, that it, it varies every $30,000 twice a week, you know, who knows what's going to happen, right? <laughs> but anyway, so I, this has been great, Betty. I do have to ask you from a personal anecdote. Uh, I came across a couple books that I picked up and I was like, that's interesting financial advice. And I just have to ask you about it because I couldn't think of anyone else that could give me a perspective. Uh, Susie Orman, I, I checked out some of her stuff, uh, Take It or Leave It. <laughs> well, she has a big personality, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> but but here's the thing about that. Um, you know, I managed investment advisors for decades. And what I learned over all that time is that there aren't any gurus in that space, right? Those people are entertainers, whether it's Susie or it's Dave Ramsey or it's Jim Cramer. I mean, some of her advice, some of their advice is okay, but it tends to be very broad, very general. And some of it's just awful. Like, the Latte Factor program. I don't know if you listened to that one. That no, she no, I haven't heard that one. Okay, so she talked about how if you buy a, if you buy a Starbucks latte every day for four or five bucks, mm. in you know that adds up. And so what you can do to really save money is stop buying a Starbucks every day, and at the end of the year you'll have a thousand dollars that you can invest. Uh. Like that's the solution to everybody's problem is to look for these little tiny things. And uh. I will tell you that um, you know my father died when I was eleven years old. And my sister and I were raised by my mom and my grandmother. And I know from personal experience that single mothers know how to budget. <laughs> they, they know where every dime goes. They don't need Susie Orman or anybody else telling them to cut out lattes and suddenly they're going to have money to invest. What they need, and I think what people need, is advice and resources on how to earn more money because only when their income goes up can they begin to even think about investing and saving. So I think Susie could probably do more good by focusing on that. That's interesting. So, so better yourself, which betters your situation, which then you know works out rather than uh, you know, I'm going to polish. I, I, I don't even have an analogy. I was going somewhere with it, but it wasn't a good one. So. <laughs> But no, that was great advice to wrap it up. I appreciate that. 
My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, perfect. Well, uh, Betty, uh, like I said, this has been great. Uh, is there anywhere that people can connect with you to see what you're doing, you know, from a, a thought leadership, a doctor side of things, maybe book writing? Well, maybe someday, Stephen, but for now, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm out there. I'm the only Dr. Betty Moon on LinkedIn, so I'm easy to find. Um, I'm also on Twitter and um, I'm, and you can always reach out to me at SAP. Happy to chat and happy to ha- continue the conversation about topics like this that are near and dear to my heart. <laughs>